0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the Disciple's Haven. Today, we're going to be jumping back and forth in the Bible to discuss a very important topic. A topic that I think we all need to check ourselves of. We'll learn how this particular sin caused this second earth age, how people have caused it to be their demise, and how we today continue with the same sin of before. So we ask our Father to bless us with wisdom and understanding as we go into His Word and learn about the deadly sin of pride. Amen. Welcome one and all. Today we're going to talk about something that I believe is important to talk about. Now, This teaching is going to go back and forth, like I said earlier, throughout God's Word for perspective, but to also show how pride has and will always be a sin. Pride is defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary as the quality or state of being proud, such as reasonable self-esteem, confidence and satisfaction in oneself, exaggerated self-esteem, conceit. Now, We aren't talking about feeling proud about the work you put in a day or how you feel about your country. No, we are talking about that arrogant, boastful, and unrealistic sense of self. And you know what? God hates it. Turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16. Here, we're going to learn the seven things that God hates. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. The word proud here in the Strong's Concordance is H7311, which is pronounced rum, which means exalt, and haughty, which is arrogance. God is completely against those who display pride and arrogance as they do not seek after God. Instead, they concern themselves with their own needs and desires. Now, the very first thing we began with about what God hates is being proudful. Mostly because with pride, it will cause you to commit other sins with it. Verse 18, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. You see, when you become full of pride, you begin to think you're better than everyone else. You put yourself on a pedestal of selfishness. Now turn your your Bible to chapter 11, verse 2 of this same book of Proverbs. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Why does shame come after? Because pride will lead you down a path of sin. First begins pride, then lying, then deceit, then arrogance, etc., etc., A lot of people who fill themselves with pride or arrogance are usually people who end up becoming atheists because they want to be in control of their own lives. They don't want God to exist. Why? Well, why not? When you can go do whatever it is you want to do or live the life you want to live without a care in the world. Live life the way I see fit, not the way God sees fit for me. You can basically walk around committing any sin or abomination without worrying to be judged or held accountable of your actions. Pride emboldens us to even look at our own God who created us and tell Him, Thanks, God, I got it from here. Pride is often what precedes deception and can cause the most Bible thumping Christian to misinterpret God's word and shape God and His word into whatever suits his or her life choices and lifestyles. In order to understand, why God hates pride so much, we must look at our history and see where it stemmed from, which is why it's important to know and learn about the three heaven and earth ages that I taught about in the second episode of this show. For those who haven't checked it out, if you don't understand that we had a life, a spiritual life before this life, the entire Bible is not going to make any sense to you. It just won't. So with that being said, we're going to learn what happened in our first heaven and earth age, and why we ended up in this flesh that we are in today. Turn your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 11. This whole chapter describes Lucifer as who he was and what will happen to him. The first half of the chapter describes events that will come to pass, most likely in our lifetime, while the second half of this chapter describes events that have already come to pass, meaning in the first heaven and earth age. We're going to start from the second half of the chapter because we want to learn what happened that caused this whole mess to happen. Now, God here is referring to Satan as the king of Tyrus, which is just one of the many names or roles Satan has, just as he was known as the serpent, the deceiver, the dragon, etc. And verse 11 reads,
1: Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun full of wisdom and perfect in beauty.
0: What this is saying is that God is telling Satan, I made you perfect. I mean, literally perfect in every which way. Perfect in looks, perfect in wisdom. Why did God make him like that? Well, Lucifer earned it at one point. God doesn't just give anything away for free. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We have to remember we all lived in the Spirit for billions and billions of years. So during that time, Lucifer worked his way to the very top of God's rank. So high in rank that Lucifer earned his title as one of the anointed cherubs. A cherub is an angel that protects the mercy seat of God. He protected the throne. Think of it as God's secret service, if you will. Verse 13.
1: Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in him.
0: Till iniquity was found in him. He stopped loving God. He began loving himself. He began thinking of himself more than God. He began to be so full of pride And what did that cause him to do? He began to deceive people back then. He was so convincing, he took one third of God's children with him. One third. You know how much that is? It's said that up until this year, 2023, there have been a total of 105 billion people that have been born on this earth. So that's 105 billion souls that have been born in the first earth age. Let's say that's an accurate and fair estimate. Do you know how much one-third of 105 billion people is? That's 35 billion people. 35 billion people followed Satan back in the first Earth age. Can you blame God for destroying that first heaven and Earth age? Sure, he could have destroyed 35 billion of his own children to include Satan back then. But I've asked you in the second episode of this show, if your own child was convinced to follow someone else, to love someone else, Would you kill them? Or would you do what you can outside of interfering with their own free will to try and bring them back? Now think how God must have felt. So instead of killing all those children, he created this heaven and earth age by giving each and every soul a second chance by being born of woman to prove to God if we love God more or if we choose to follow the ways of Satan and his prideful ways. Verse 16.
1: By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled with the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profaned out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be iniquity."
0: This has yet to happen. And won't happen until after Christ has been here for a thousand years, after the millennium, which is the third heaven and earth age. But Satan and those who continue to follow him and his sinful ways will be destroyed by turning to ash from within. And they won't even be a memory within our minds because they will be blotted out from our memory. So there you have a quick history about how pride began, how it caused this mess that we are in today and in these flesh bodies, which is the second heaven and earth age. But let's look at another section to cross-reference this, you know, to fact-check ourselves. Where else can we find this? Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. And here we have a passage that Isaiah wrote where he describes about what happened to Satan. And we also hear Satan about his thought process. And verse 12 reads, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the
1: nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I." who will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shape kingdoms?
0: Here in verse 16, it has yet to happen. This happens when Christ comes back and puts him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And people are going to be able to see him and say, this is the guy? This is the guy who deceived the whole world? Him? This pathetic man? Let that be a lesson for all of us. When pride blinds you, death is the ultimate punishment. Now, let's enter this earth age, the second heaven and earth age, How has pride continued to evolve within us, mankind? Well, we can begin by talking about the death of Abel, how Cain began to be prideful, thinking that he can just hide his murder by lying to God's face. But I want to take us to the book of Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Here, Abraham has been told God will destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their sins have been so great. What sins exactly? Sins of abomination, immorality, sins against the flesh. Where do you think we get the word sodomy from? Gives you an idea of the type of sins that were being committed within those cities. I don't think I have to make it any clearer than that, do I? But before God destroyed the cities, He sent two angels to get Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his wife and children out of the city to spare them since they haven't committed sin. Now, as we read these next verses... I want you to think about how the actions of then should be a wake-up call to our today. And we begin with verse 1, and it reads, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he showed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Lot knew that being out in the streets of Sodom was dangerous. Nowadays, I'm sure being out in the streets of your own city probably aren't that safe either. But see, these angels, they weren't scared. Verse 3, And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. The men from all parts of the city, old and young, came to Lot's house. And I want you to pay attention to what it said both old and young. The word young in the strongest concordant is Na'ar. And it's defined as a boy, as active from the age of infancy to adolescence by implication a servant. Also by interchange of sex, a girl of similar latitude and age, babe, boy, child, damsel, lad, servant, young man. Now hold on to this real quick because it'll make sense in the next few verses. Verse 5. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, "'Where are the men which came into thee this night?' bring them out unto us that we may know them the term know them here is a euphemism for having sex with someone the fact is is that people or the heathen of sodom not only corrupted themselves with sin but their children as well their own children were taking part in homosexual acts even rape verse 6 and lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him and said I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Think of this for a minute. The men wanted to rape the two angels that were in Lot's house. Lot knew the intentions, and instead of giving them up, He was willing to give up his own virgin daughters. But the people of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't want women, they wanted men. Verse 9 And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Here, the people were telling Lot, Who are you to tell us who we can or can't have? You were a wanderer through our city not too long ago and worked your way up to being a judge, but that doesn't mean you can tell us what we can or can't have. They got so violent, they came to almost breaking down Lot's door. Verse 10. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Even after the angels blinded these people, they were still trying to get to the door and get to the angels. Now here, in verse 12, the angels are now finally giving Lot direction. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son of and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. In other words, the angels have told Lot, if you got any righteous people amongst you, family, friends, it's time to go. Now let's jump down to verse 24. And Lot and his family have escaped Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. There's a couple of lessons we can take from Lot's wife. What were the orders of the angels? Leave and don't look back. First thing to take from this, Lot's wife didn't listen to a command. When God or his messengers give you a command, you listen and follow it. Or else the punishment is always death. Second thing... To take from this, when you leave sin, when you escape it, don't ever look back at it again. Leave it where it was and let God destroy it, or else you fall right back into the iniquities that you were partaking in from before. Now surely the actions of Sodom and Gomorrah would have taught us a lesson, right? I mean, it's written in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow making them an example unto those after should live ungodly. God destroyed those cities so they can be an example for anyone that chooses to live ungodly. But have we really learned anything? In 2008, that was the very first election that I ever voted in. I'm fresh out of the Marines and California held Prop 8 on the ballot. Prop 8 was where it would classify a marriage only between a man and a woman. And will you believe over 52% of the vote voted for it? Yeah. Here in California, we, a majority, opposed same-sex marriage. Well, what happened after? Well, people do what children do best. They threw a tantrum and began rioting, vandalizing churches, etc. That was my first real eye-opener to seeing how things could drastically evolve. Shortly after it was challenged. And fast forward to 2015, the United States Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, in Obergefell versus Hodges, it deems that same-sex marriages are now legal in all 50 states. Now, let's just fast forward eight years from that, to 2023. And we now have people who literally can't even identify what a woman is. Drag shows being pushed on children, companies pushing a far-leftist, gay-woke agenda. And we really have to stop and ask ourselves, why? Why did we get here? Why the need for pushing all this? And here's the answer. We allowed it. We allowed the laws of man to trump the laws of God. We allowed deception to blind us into thinking love is love. And we said, well, it's not hurting anyone. It's not interfering with my life. Go ahead. And now look where we are. We got men competing in women's sports, thinking that they're women. We got women surgically removing their breasts to look more manly. We shut major cities down to hold parades where men and women prance around naked with sexual toys strapped to their bodies and and parents taking their own children to these parades. We have companies like Target promoting clothing for gender-neutral children. To make boys look like girls and girls look like boys. And we have the nerve to ask, how did we get here? (laughs) Here's where all this loses me. You see, they went as far as taking a symbol that was meant as a promise directly from God, a visual promise, and turned it into a symbol of homosexual desire and fantasy. And to add gasoline to the fire, they call the movement PRIDE to where our so-called leaders and even church leaders tell people to celebrate Pride Month. Yes, church leaders. You know, the ones who claim to know more about scripture than you. The Church of England has come out and saying that they are considering making God gender neutral to be more inclusive. The Pope, as if the Catholic religion needed to add any more asinine views on their already skewed views, has come out and said, the sins of the flesh are not the most serious and laws that criminalize homosexuality are unjust. No, my friends, I don't regard pride as a virtue. I don't see that sexual orientation or sexual desire of any sort as something to celebrate or to take pride in. Now, some may be saying, Jose, you're being hateful, you're being homophobic or transphobic. Well, one, you're wrong because I am definitely not scared of them. But two, you couldn't be farther from the truth. You see, I say all this with love, because Christians like myself know exactly where that lifestyle leads. It leads to death. Telling someone the truth, I believe is one of the most sincerest acts of kindness and love. Now, whether you choose to believe that truth or not is totally up to you, but it's not hate. I have friends that I served with who have come out as openly gay. I still talk to them once in a while. I still love them like my brothers. But if one of them asked me to go to their wedding, I would have to kindly decline. You see, you can still love the person, but be against their lifestyle. And that's perfectly fine. Because we are not the judge. God is. Our job, your job as a disciple, as a Christian, is to teach the truth with love. And sometimes that love is tough love. But it's still love. As this world grows darker and the labor pains increase, it can be overwhelming. But you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't stress it. Sure, it can be too much at times, but you know what I do when I when it gets to me? I stop and remind myself, God is on the throne. He's in control. He said all this would happen, so why stress it? You just keep pushing the truth with love. Some may listen. Most won't. But that's why you are here, to try to save as many souls as you can. You let God do the judging. You know why? Because we... Aren't a prideful people. We are humble. Because as it's written in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We as Christians need to be very careful while we are in this flesh that we don't give in to pride of any kind. You keep fighting the good fight. You remember that the rainbow is ours, given to us by our Lord. Reclaim it. Because those that want to continue in their prideful ways by pushing an agenda, disguising it as love and beautiful, it's written in Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Disciples' Haven. I hope that it brought you closer to our Father. And if it did, don't forget to share it with your friends and family. May God bless you and yours. Until next time, disciples, go in peace.